0: Rachel Morey and with me is Scott Combridge and we'd like to welcome you to Conversations.
1: Good day to you all and welcome to the new year. I hope your Christmas was blessed with family and the unexpected yet expected receiving of Emmanuel. I apologise for my voice in this episode's introduction as I lost my voice just prior to Christmas and just after recording the next episode. So my voice sounds fine in this episode but in this introduction sounds a bit funny which is why this episode is a little slow coming out. In episode two we explore how we view limitations and how society places limitations on us. The reality that limitations are all around us yet our mind strives for freedom that we choose to notice some boundaries or limitations on our lives yet others just slip right by us. We consider limitations and freedom and how limitations can provide freedom for us. Leading on from this we explore how limitations can trigger creativity or a creative space. Looking at examples of limitation on a colour palette or limiting choices, can increase our creativity. In this episode, we will be extending the topic of limitations, freedom, and creativity into our spiritual journey. What does it look like, and how it's different for every person? We will examine living a contemplative life, or a life in constant prayer, and explore what this means in everyday life. We also consider that it is good to journey with people and it is not always a healthy response we have to do it on our own. Finding someone to journey with or people to talk with is an important part of our spiritual journey. While we start to explore over the next few episodes a number of different avenues of exploring our spiritual journey, here we will set up a basis to to our next episodes as we delve deeper into spiritual practices. We hope you enjoy this episode, so please find a place to sit back and listen to conversations with Rachel and Scott.
2: Hello Rach, how you going?
0: G'day Scott, how are you? Welcome to um, Conversations with Rachel and Scott. We have had um, another month go past. It's hard to believe that, isn't
2: it? Years moving quickly.
0: So today's conversation is around limitations um, and our spiritual journey within that because there's a lot of few things that once you start looking at our spiritual journey and the I've lost the word that I'm trying to look for and the the, the things that we can do within that such as um, seeking God within those aspects have a few limitations so we're continuing on from last week's where we discussed limitations in and had a foundation around that Um, Mm. and this week we're going to look at it a little bit more depth within our spiritual journey and what that means Um, Mm. so yeah. So Scott, how uh have you had a good week? Let's let's start off the conversation with have you had a good week?
2: Well, this week's going better than last week, so it's an up up. I'm in an up space. That's so a good thing. That is how good. about you?
0: Yeah, not too bad. I've had my husband home and he's after having surgery this week. So that is a yeah. wonderful thing and all has gone yeah. well. Great. So yes, but Let's look at limitations and in our spiritual journey and what that looks like.
2: Yeah, you, 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 when you brought that up, um, I know you got some questions that you're going to guide us through, as you always do, and you do such a great job of that. But it was interesting that I've twice this week, not necessarily connected to our conversation, but just in recognition that we do this stuff, I found myself saying to a couple of people in ministry, you know, this world is a sieve. And we're learning the consequence of small limitations because once we become eternal with God, we're stuck with who we are for eternity, and God's stuck with us for who we are as eternity. And if we're not willing to surrender our individuality and our power to God and become part of His family as He is the head and we are the body, and all of that language of Christ and the Church, then we're going to put up with with a Eternity of belligerence from us. There's there's a point at which um, we need to show here our understanding, our participation, and our surrender to God's kingdom here on earth, as it is in heaven, and that's part of the Lord's prayer, of course. But if we can't engage in that here, the limit is that this is the end of our reality. Once we die on this earth, then that will be uh, the limit of it. Whereas if we can limit now, we actually less limited for eternity but only because we've learned the wisdom of god's ways rather than making all mistakes through our own ways so i think that a lot of what we're going to explore today is about learning how we are limited now so that we can be unlimited later Mm. what about you as you thought about today's headings what were you thinking
0: i'm not sure that i had an answer for that one Mm -hmm. um that it is always a continual exploration of our limitations and discovery in some senses, because sometimes we just don't know what our limitations are. So we have to learn and and discover those ourselves as we go about our daily life, I guess. We were talking a a little bit before around limitations and and that kind of stuff. Well, let's start off, let's continue to explore what it means to, in an everyday life to be
2: living with limits
0: yeah living with limits
2: (laughs) so what we were talking about beforehand was the spiritual dimension on how we explore that uh, in um, spiritual direction in lecto divina in art uh, in expression and exploration through um, non-verbal communicative ways ways that feed satisfaction in in other things other than esoterical yeah, so let me bounce this back off. Um, spiritual direction, the limitations of it. Um, I've valued my spiritual direction. I've, I've had spiritual director um, since I came out of college. So it's been 20 odd years now that I've sat under and with a spiritual director. And a spiritual director for me has been an important part of my journey in ministry for my spiritual health. I wanna state before I start though that um, For the Protestant tradition of Christianity, spiritual direction, um, we're just coming back to it. The Catholics have have held onto it for a long while now. Uh, It's been one of their tools in their toolkit. uh, And as Protestants, we're just maturing enough to the point where we're going, a journey partner is really important because you can't do this journey alone. And the intention of a supervisor can be there for your intentional journey in your clinical practice as a minister. But a spiritual director is there to help you listen to and learn the the voice of your soul and to understand and to be aware of what it's telling you and what it's feeling and how it's going through life because our minds can very, very much override that. And once our mind overrides it, we become very limited in our scope of an, an ability to respond to life. So I know you've had spiritual directors in the past and you're looking at spiritual direction. So how do you see spiritual direction and the engagement of that? Just as an Hmm. overview.
0: I'd probably say spiritual direction very similar to how you explained it in, in the sense that it's journeying with someone that you can articulate where you're at and what you're doing with no judgment, no... From yourself or from the spiritual director, they're purely there as a listener, um, and and to ask a question or maybe make a statement in what they're hearing or help you go down different paths, but to explore what that what that is for you um, and and to go deeper into yeah your soul your um, where God is within you how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Um, mm. I think that's a really good articulation
2: of um and and what we find is that our our language with the spirit is often quite limited Um, but once we learn the language of our spirit uh, another world opens up to us but even there it's not a world that is easily shared with other people and that's part of the limit of it is it is personal salvation that's the point of your personal salvation it's this our awareness to truth is is um a very interesting journey within us we are we are the best lies to ourselves and unfortunately you know we're the only ones that we're blind to we can see other people we can hear how they talk we can respond to that but we often don't have control over how words or how emotions are coming out of us and infecting other people and you can be uh, you know after 20 years you can learn to restrain a lot of that so it's not necessarily visceral in its experience but you've still got to deal with whatever comes out of you there's there's no hiding from it and so if situations upset you you've got to deal with that upset Mm. Um, the more you shove it down the more you bottle it the more it explodes later on and unfortunately it often explodes on the people who least should be the recipients of it in other words there's a lot of people who deal with rubbish at work and come home and blow up at their families when actual fact they should be blowing up at at work and coming home and being peaceful to their families Mm. Um, and the danger certainly in ministry is around the fact that uh, lots of ministers try to be saints out in the world and then come home and become devils um, because that's where they let all the crap out and their families unfortunately are the ones who often cop it Uh, and being a preacher's kid I have endeavoured the best I can to make sure that if I'm angry I'm angry at work (laughs) and I don't hide it Um, people generally know if I'm peeved I let them see it but we work through that as constructively as we can. And I also give other people permission to be be emotional and, and frustrated around me as well, because that's part of being human. You know, the worst thing, I think the biggest limit on the church is when we say, oh, we all have to be nice to one another and we all have to love one another and give each other a holy kiss. But we actually can't be critical of each other and we can't actually pull someone up if they're behaving badly. And in some of the worst senses of religion, we actually limit the power of the Holy Spirit to shape and form us within the church, so that when we go out into the world, we're actually better able to deal with it. And we forget that the church is a, sometimes a, um, a kindergarten or a playground where we play at in relationships that we have eternal love within. And that's a very different to human love. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who go to church that don't get this difference, that it's okay to not agree with people. It's okay to have a different point of view but the negotiation and the middle ground that we find is the very space of God. Uh, And even God accesses that, you know, scripturally there's times when God wants to do one thing and of course human beings do the other and God comes halfway. And in fact, you know, Jesus dying on the cross is God's answer to our limitation to do things God's way. He says, well, I killed you all last time in the flood, rather than killing you all, I'm going to die this time. So God's always testing out middle ground options and so forgive them for what they're doing because they don't know what they're doing on the cross is God trying to negotiate with humanity what grace and mercy and love looks like Mm. Uh, and of course Jesus becomes the Emmanuel that the image of God on earth how do we know how God acts well here is Jesus doing very that very thing and so we've got tangible evidence of God's behavior in that limit and Jesus limited himself you know this is the word become flesh and that's uh, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that when Jesus became sin, it's not that he's necessarily taking on everybody's personal sin. It's that he locked himself into this earthly dimension and limited his power and abilities into this human body. And uh, and so that statement for me that Jesus became sin is a theological statement that he left the heavenly realms and limited himself to a human existence for a period of time. Hmm. And, of course, the resurrection is, well, he's gone back, not to the way he was, it's just the word. Now he has form as uh, the resurrected Christ, bearing the scars of the journey. So, uh, so yeah, even Jesus chooses limitations in order to get done what needs to get done. And the, and you wouldn't have the temptations in the desert if Jesus wasn't capable of doing more, but he limits it so that the temptations of the devil in the in The desert after his baptism is testing whether he's going to choose to be limited or not. That's, you know, you're hungry, feed yourself. No, if God hasn't provided me with food, I'll go hungry. You know, step off the building, God will stop you from hitting your toes. He goes, Why would I be different to the subjects of gravity? And walking on water is a whole different part of that story. Uh, And then finally, you know, the, the irony is the devil says, here, if you worship me, I'll give you all of this kingdom. Well, Jesus was the word through which everything was made. The devil's trying to give him his own thing back. You know, there's there's this lovely play in the conversation there. And, and Jesus goes, no, it's God's. And he actually, being the word, acknowledges that it's God's design for this planet to be a garden for human beings to dwell with God on. Mm. It's not for me to rule over. And I think that's the, the limitation of Christianity is to release the world back to god and not try and see it as ours and nobody else's and that's the one of the great temptations of the secular world and of course business raping and pillaging the earth and plundering the seas and polluting the airs is that um, well who's going to stop us well global warming might or and and there's science around that but you know part of my limitation is that People worship science now when it's actually a behavior. It's a, and it, and it's an act. Science is to watch and observe and learn from life. Uh, but people worship it now. You know, I'm going to science the shit out of this thing. I heard someone say, pardon my French. Um, what does that mean? mean? That doesn't mean you're going to do something. It means you're going to watch and observe something. But you're choosing to act and participate. Well, that's actually what God invited us to do. So... Mm-hmm. You know, I I find myself very limited in the way I can talk to people about the, you know, life in many ways. But spiritual direction has been one of those journeys that's helped me articulate all this stuff because when I've got frustrated and I've been able to go to my spiritual director and work it through, it's like, aha, here's the point that I'm getting frustrated with. And and it's given me the articulation to move through it and beyond it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really important to note is that oftentimes, Like we say, I know I'm working through it. And yes, you might be working through it, but it's internally and sometimes you actually need to hear what you're thinking and say. And it's not until you actually verbalise it that you go, this is a whole lot of crap. What am I doing, wasting my time thinking about this stuff?
2: Yeah, and in fact, that's the first lesson of the Bible that most people miss, that God spoke and it became. And so until we say something until our mouths create a word and, and our voice box utters a sound, until that becomes what we understand as language, we don't actually deal with it. We think what we think what we think until we hear what we think and then we realise we don't think it. What I'm saying is that, you know, a lot of people will say something and go, no way, I don't actually think that, but it's, that's what's come out of my mouth. Now I've yeah. got to do something with it. And so the fact that God says, God spoke and it was, is true for us too and in fact he says that our words are more damaging than swords so when we speak it becomes a reality if we speak hostility to people then we create hostility if we speak love to people then we create love so so the first lesson of the bible isn't about original sin it is it is actually about god's desire to be with us and that ability to speak and to become so is also our foundation because we were made as the creator in the image of with the same substance and Jesus is um yeah there'll be some people who will say no Jesus is the substance of God and we're not It's true but we are children made by God in the image of God so don't take it any further than that
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what we've basically been talking about is and we hear it in our media and and In conversations around us is a creative life or a contemplative life a life in constant prayer so what's your understanding of um, a creative life or a contemplative life or a life that we live a life of constant prayer
2: yeah and it's actually interesting i wouldn't actually separate those three even though we can explore them as very Mm. different things so let me start with the contemplative life A contemplative life is the space in which you recognise that there is more at your disposal than you've currently recognised and to stop and to watch and to contemplate where God is being visible, where God is revealing God's self, where God is making kingdom is part of that contemplative journey and that's also going on within each of us. So it's contemplate the contemplative life is a position of observance both internally and externally to the presence and the activity of God in our world how would you describe contemplative life
3: yeah it's it's
0: a time a a space where we're actually present to each moment Um, that, that we slow down and we yeah, contemplate, reflect where God is, what God is, where we've seen God, how we've seen God, what's God doing. It's a life where every breath that you take is in recognition that God is, um, but also that God has given you the breath. Um, That we can do that in so many different ways um, and experience and be creative in the way in which we see and do what we do um, yeah. throughout our day, that it, it is just a recognition that God is foremost before us, behind us, above and below us. It's it's mm-hmm. no, there is there is nothing that separates us from God in that space. And, and, and I think it's actually trying to live that with every moment of every day. And... I think part of the joy that that brings is the creativeness that we we choose to explore within that and how that event, whether that's solving an issue that comes up for us or whether that is um, finding our creative abilities within us. And Tell what, me more about that. Whether that's um, art or, or some physically doing something that, it, that is more um a creative space or whether that's writing or whether that is um, finding a gift that God has given you that is for the community rather um, than just individual. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So the gift that may be um, being able to hold a group of people or the gift that may be being someone who can lead a group or someone who can support Someone, But it's not something that you recognise that you had before. It's just something that's emerging or something that's coming out of you now. And I think that also acknowledges the fact that God is within you and around you and God doesn't leave you. And, and it, it helps to, to journey with some, some of those times where we're, we find ourselves really flat or um, that we're going through some crisis. Um, and it's those times that we look at that actually bring us deeper into the fact that God actually is here with us, or the recognition of that, even though we might have trouble articulating or saying it or seeing it at times, that um, those creative spaces that we have out of crisis moments can often ground us and and draw us closer to god through the crisis
2: and i think that that's a big part of crisis in limitation and that's what crisis is it's actually i think nine times out of ten crisis is about discovering limitation that that we weren't aware of and now we've suddenly realized it Uh, and that's what other people can do to us and that's a crisis sometimes um sometimes it's a choice that we've made and it's become financial emotional physical or spiritual in that in that sense but it's a Crisis is an engagement of limitation oh. or consequence, which and the consequence may be the limitation itself. All right, because you do painting and you've recently engaged painting, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's creative. So, how you know, I've been aware of my passion for modeling and mm-hmm. building, having been a builder in a former life, and um, I understand how my modeling and my paint work and the detail to which I go through with my modeling and the professionalism that I give to my modelling is actually part of my creativity.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It also feeds my ego, which <clears throat> at the end of the day wants to say, I made that, look at that, that's good. Yeah. Even if it's just for myself. You know, we need that thing to be able to be proud of ourselves and understand how God is proud of us, I think. Mm. So, so that's my journey with modelling. It's always been there. Um, anything crafted with my hands, whether I weld it, build it, shape it, form it, but you've got into painting real recently. So what's that journey been like for you to discover the limitations, but also the creativity of the expression and contemplation?
0: I think for me it's the discovery, and it's been exciting and, and fun to to have to have it revealed to myself. Cause I think in the probably in the last five years or so that I've actually really been drawn into this contemplative world and this um, contemplative life Um, Mm -hmm. and hear that there are many other people who are on the same path for themselves Um, that god has really moved me into this space to that i sit with the art and it's not something that i ever did before i didn't paint before Um, i painted houses or i painted a piece of furniture or something like that but i never painted um on as a, an artist. So it's not
2: that you painted a house or you painted a chair. You actually painted the house and painted the chair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, that through exploring painting as a a piece of art and, and doing doing it, I found myself being able to sit for long periods of time in prayer by just simply having a task that I'm doing with my painting. Um, At the moment, I've got the joy of painting all these flowers, which Scott witnessed the other week. Um, And it is a monotonous task and sometimes a frustrating task. Um, Uh, But at the same time, there is a space that is very sacred within it. Um,
2: Yeah. So what you're, I mean, what you just mentioned there is the fact that to be, intentionally faithful to a task that's even monotonous and boring is life-giving and spiritual
3: yeah
0: a lot of our um a lot of the mystics talk about it is that they're doing their daily chores and they get a revelation or god speaks to them profoundly or that kind of thing so i i've been very intrigued at times to go what is it about those particular things because i mean if we could all deal with it we wouldn't would have robots or whatever to deal with our chores and
2: and what would we lose (laughs) but at the same time yeah
0: i go we don't necessarily understand the gift that the chore is at the time which sounds silly um but there is no because that's
2: going back to my original statement about this world being limited and needing us to do chores to understand the gift of chores i think the gift of you know everyone thinks i in heaven we'll just sit around and eat grapes and very very greco-roman sort of picture of <laughs> laying back and enjoying life and i actually don't think so i think heaven's heaven's going to be quite quite a journey for us and it's about learning to limit ourselves to be disciplined in small things this is i think i'm just bouncing off i'm going to come back to where you're at yeah. because i think it's intriguing but you know as ministers in churches and we ask people so i want to do something can you say well can you do this little thing and, and they may be people who've new to the church or, or just coming on board as Christians, being baptised and wanting to participate or thinking about baptism and thinking about being a part of the church that they come on board, and you give them a little thing and they go, oh, but I want to do something really big for God. And as ministers, we know that it actually doesn't start with the big stuff. It starts with the discipline to faithfully do little things. But what a lot of people don't understand is that as we watch and are very thankful for the people who do the little things, and I'll tell you, the person who makes church work is the person who puts out the bins. Mm. It starts at that level. The person who's willing to wash the floors, clean the benches, do the dishes, that's the heart of the church. It's not the minister. Mm. It's actually the people willing to serve faithfully, monotonously, thanklessly in a lot of times to do a task that's there. And they're the ones that grow spiritually, not not the ministers nine times out of 10. It's actually the people who limit themselves to a regular task. And what we as ministers are always watching is has that person shown their faithfulness without grumbling, without bitching, without getting to the point where going, well, this is silly. I don't want to do this anymore. Because that very reaction shows us that they're not ready yet. But as they give, then you can go, okay, can I invite you into more? Can I invite you into more? As the spirit leads us to, to engage people. Um, and that very tantrum that I need to do more for God is the very thing that lets us know that they're not ready. Mm. So uh, that, I think that, that I want to really hone in on with this conversation that statement you made about limiting yourself to the monotony of this big painting that you're doing, Mm -hmm. which is, which is, and and we'll acknowledge is not necessarily in your style of painting, but a gift to someone and you've disciplined yourself to do it and are finding meditation and ministry uh, and and prayer coming out of that.
0: Mm. It is. I think, I think that's part of, the people who love gardening and going out and weeding every day and and pruning and and do there's a similar space with that but at the same time it's you can get in that zone if you're vacuuming or you're doing the dishes or sometimes yeah. it takes a period of time to actually get yourself into that zone to be able to hear. yeah and
2: one of the things I taught my kids is that you know they have a floor drobe and a laundry and uh, <laughs> uh, resist doing the dishes at every point. And, and when, after a lot of battle, we, and all my kids have moved out of home, so it's a long story now. But, um, you know, when they get to that point of having a clean room, and I say, Now, how does that feel? And they go, This feels fantastic. This feels like I'm free. It feels like I've got choices. And so, at a little bit of work and keeping things in order, we're actually freer than going, Oh, what does it matter? I don't have to adhere to putting my clothes in drawers or keeping my floor clean. I can just you know, leave dishes on the bench, leave crap all over the bench top. And it actually starts to change our demeanor in life. The cleaner you can keep your house and the more attentive you can, cleanliness is equal to godliness. It's a really old statement, but damn, it's true. Because when your house is in order, you're in order and you've got free time then to explore but if all of that stuff still the kitchen bench is covered in dishes um the dishes the washing still all sitting there you can be as contemplative and painting as you like but in the back of your head your house is a mess and also that and reflects how um that.
0: yeah our our personal life and our, where we're at in that particular phase in life yeah, does. Two, um which yep. has always been an interesting and I've noted those when I've had my house being a mess that but it's actually, a, I'm not in a good space.
2: Um, no. Um, and, and, you know, cause we've shared an office for so many years that when my desk is covered with all the stuff, I'm holding too much in my head and I'm bouncing from one thing to the other, but there's moments of um, less busy life in ministry. And suddenly my desk is in order mm-hmm. and my mind feels like it's in order. And, uh, and there's, so there's periods even in ministry where my desk, I'm, I actually have learned through, and that's through spiritual direction, that my desk is a reflection of how I'm traveling with what's on my mind and, and my workload, which is really fascinating. Because it means sometimes that I'm not as focused on the individual things as I need to be in creativity and the prayer and because I'm too busy doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I haven't tended house to then actually tend to my thought patterns on each thing. so. You know, I'm I'm learning more that my desk needs to be cleaned up more often because it helps me then focus on my thinking.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Now I want to come back to your exploring of you know your artwork and, yes. and and growing in that. Uh because you also touched on for me what is prayer. When for me prayer starts with breathing. With what, sorry? And that's why breathing. Oh yes. And that's why I think panic attacks are The classic example of a life completely out of prayer because people stop breathing they actually start you know panicking and they stop breathing and then they get hypertensive and all the rest of it and there's there's a point at which most of the techniques for someone losing it is to just breathe just focus on your breath just find the basis of life and again i'm going back to genesis with the whole You know, yes, we were clay beings, but we had no life until the Holy Spirit breathed into us. And that's the first part of animation. And so when things go wrong in life, the thing we have to turn back to is our first part of creation, which is just to simply breathe, because it's one task that we can tend to in the midst of anything else that's going on to breathe is prayer itself. And we're exploring prayer being outside words spoken. Hmm that's what your creativity is it's it's about engaging spiritual life with god not in words but through mud on the end of a stick being slapped on canvas that creates you know we are made of a creator to create trimming of the rose garden and pulling weeds making this world a garden which is what the original intent was so that we could dwell with god is all prayer have you found that you know, as you said, Edie, I'm mm. painting, I'm finding in a meditative space, a prayerful space, and, and and I'd love to explore that with you. What you know, that that what is prayer to breathe and to engage in this spiritual reality of tending house. I think
0: that's <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes it's a space where I I just want to sit and and be. I don't want to have mm. those. Those those my, um, things on my mind or going through, I need my mind to have a rest, um, mm-hmm. and I think God graciously gives me that that space that I can do that. And sometimes I find myself just putting, going, okay, it's it's a surrendering to God in that space that it's more around centering prayer, but a centering prayer that I'm actually doing something in the background of painting
2: so so for those who don't know what centering prayer is what's a centering prayer
0: centering prayer is a um a form of prayer that is around the overarching premise of centering prayer is that you surrender you surrender yourself in all in all ways spiritually mentally physically um you surrender yourself to god and the part of that act is by sitting still generally, um, and the thoughts that are coming through your head, you put them aside gently with yourself and focus back to just being. And it is an art form, it is really hard to do, but I think that's the gift that painting has given to me is that I've glimpsed different stages in which I can actually
2: just be. So... Yeah, if I'm bouncing off what you're saying, there is, the enemy is almost the mind.
3: Mm.
0: So the, the, the part of my journey has been to, to sit and observe um, and people go, what? You observe yourself. How do you do that? Like you just sit and watch what is coming through your, your mind, your thoughts, mm. your, your processes. And, and that in itself, sometimes you go, what the heck? And you don't realize how busy your mind is until you sit mm and observe it and i think that in itself is realizing how worn out it was making me feel to have to mm-hmm. constantly be thinking yeah, because the danger that.
2: of leadership is people ask you more and more what do you think what are you going to do how are we going to do this and almost demand that you stay in that space and that's then one of the dangers of ministry is that we don't actually do centering prayer, we don't contemplate enough we don't step back and let god do because It feels like our mind wants to take control and do all the answering of all the questions and all the processes.
0: And um, part of that journey has been to just sit and be with painting. But I also think that it reflects a space that to know that God is there. Um, even though I can't necessarily, like it's, it's hard to put words in and I think that's part of why we don't necessarily articulate our spiritual journey that much is that we're actually trying to give um, words to something that's not necessarily in this reality that we're, that mm. we're in yeah. at the moment. And,
2: and we just have to keep using more and more words to try and capture what is in yeah. itself a very simple essence
0: yeah absolutely um and 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 as you keep telling to me it's not until you experience it i can tell you in in many different ways and give you many scenarios that Mm -hmm. that can Mm -hmm. explain that but it's not until you experience it that you get a a grasp of what i'm saying or a glimpse of what i'm saying
2: yeah Um, which is the danger of gnosis of course which is those of us who've experienced it really can't hand it on to others but then it almost creates a sense of superiority or a you know, there's a danger in that one that, that yeah. you know, that we want to drag people kicking and screaming into what we've experienced so that they know it for themselves. And and sometimes that's actually the worst thing we can do, particularly as ministers, is that we've actually got to trust that each person is on their own journey at their own pace. And our job is to be there when they, they cross over the threshold into the next stage mm. and celebrate with them and go, yes, because most people have those, you know, I, as you know, though I say I live for the aha moments in people that I do what I do. I discipline myself to preaching weekly and um, caring for the congregation, but I'm always hanging out for that aha moment in the person because mm-hmm. it says that we can go the next stage of, you know, ministry and participation and kingdom witnessing.
0: And I think that too, it, it, those times of prayer, I know we've explored prayer um that I paint my prayers rather than yep. speak them. Um, which has been one of your
2: aha that I've enjoyed.
0: Yes, um, which, which has been an interesting um, space. And I find at times that I go, yeah, I am I think I'm, I'm at a particular space or I need to sit down and just paint my prayer at the moment. My words aren't either there or in, in some senses, it's like that spiritual direction, having a spiritual director there to help me articulate it. Now, sometimes I need to go and seek someone out. Yes, Scott, that's generally been you, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's to explore, explore what to that is to, um, that I've painted because sometimes I can't see it and I don't go in there with this is what I'm painting, this is how I'm going to paint it. A lot of my painting is that I'll have a topic and it'll be an overarching topic or and it and and i'll just paint i don't try and think my way through the process i just let it happen yeah. um yeah. and that in itself is a really hard discipline to to allow because your brain wants to take over to control it or to to say no this looks pretty and or turn that it into looks something. pretty um and i think that too has has helped because it doesn't need to look pretty it doesn't need to look like anything else it, it just is a prayer and god's joy of receiving that
2: um yeah so here's another one of the limitations with that 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 um i've certainly experienced in my creativity is that what what starts off as prayer and what starts off as meditative creativity then your brain wants to go i want to show it to somebody else and see what they think mm. And then it's almost looking for recognition and praise. And and at that point where our brain wants to take something that was for ourselves and get praise from others. Now, biblically, God says, if you're looking for praise from others, you don't need my praise because you've already got it from human beings, but it's limited. You're better off if you're able to wait for my praise because my praise is infinitely more better than human praise. But God actually says that human praise actually cancels out god's praise there's a limitation Mm. there
0: that that just take that moment for that that god's that human praise cancels out god's praise that that is big
2: it's huge and most people miss it Mm. you know um i always get worried when people go that was a fantastic sermon scott because there's a part of me that goes yes i finally preached a good sermon um Whereas the minute I do that, I know actually then that hasn't been what it needed to be because I preach to pass on God's word, not to be recognized as a good preacher, mm. you know, and there's other limitations, the sense of, well, why is our church such a little church and other churches growing, going gangbusters and getting big and is big church actually the intent or not, you know, is, is people going somewhere where they can um, be happy and, and and consumers all the time or is church about, Doing the practice to go out into the world and be god's witnesses and god's professors um, not just a place to go to be entertained and to make made feel good mm-hmm. and of course as you can hear what i'm wrestling with that's why i don't preach or uh, uh, and quite enjoy our small little church it's about being disciples not about being relevant or creative in the sense of and i'm not taking anything away from those churches that are going gangbusters really big because those people who are doing the music and the preaching are gifted in those things. And they're actually using their gifts as long as it's for praising God, not their own, you know, and so we're always dancing. Each human being is dancing on this tightrope between selfishness in the act and praise in the receiving of the act. And we've got to dodge between actually I'm doing this for God. And it's not for human praise. It's actually to, to fulfill God's desire for me in my life. Yeah. So it's complex. It's really this limitation stuff is really, really fraught with danger, which is why I think the church has a bad track record of, of conveying it and sharing it, because the minute we turn it into a set process, which is in some reasons the saints of the Catholic church or the disciplines of the different uh, Protestant denominations, um, we're people who find similarity in expression and similarity in practice. So we find ourselves moving into those either different orders or different denominations. And, uh, you know, you can almost marry a a Protestant order to a Catholic denominate to a Catholic order, to Mm -hmm. a Protestant denomination, but it's to not remain limited. And what we've done poorly, both in Catholicism to Protestantism, but also in across the Protestant churches, whereas the Catholics do this a little bit better across their orders, is that it's not our way that's right, it's our way that feels right for us. Mm. And it's okay to have a different denomination that does something slightly different, that feels right to them. And where we've done disservice to the kingdom is we've tried to make it mono monopracticing rather than monotheism. Yeah. Um,
0: and I think that's relevant back to last season's is that that our churches... Are just as diverse in their creativity and exploration of that yep. as, as as the rest of the world is that God's created. Um, well, the churches
2: it, themselves are a creative expression.
0: Yeah, but it's also yeah the diversity of churches is is amazing. To to think that God would limit that in that part of his creation would be
2: if there's not one type of tree and i'm going to go back to our first first (laughs) podcast you know if there's not one type of tree and there's many types of trees if there's not one type of fish and there's many types of fish then god's expression of church is not going to be one yeah in fact every person has their own expression of spiritual walk that we choose to find ourselves in certain churches at certain stages may be connected to our spiritual walk personally, mm-hmm. and, and as you know, I often say, your spiritual well-being is your responsibility, not mine as a minister mm. I'll help you I'll journey beside you, but I'm not responsible for you. your spiritual health and well-being is your responsibility as mine is to me and I think and unfortunately that... that even sits with our kids and our wives or husbands, yeah um, in that space
0: yeah. So how do you find this contemplative life that we explore? I'm gathering you, you have decided to live this contemplative life?
2: Um, yes, although I think I've intuitively done it. And as I've gone into exploring what contemplation is, I realised, oh, yeah, I do that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Oh, this is a new way of doing Christianity, or or this is another tool in my toolkit. It's actually a way of going. Ah, oh, look at that. I already do that stuff now. Um, bearing in mind, my contemplation is very earthy. It's very blokey. It's very creative. It's not the 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 more traditional style of being quiet. Of wrapping myself in a shawl, and I'm not having to go at people. It just tends to be, you know, I can see, I can see certain people walk through the church and go, yeah, okay, you're one of those contemplative people, um, quiet shawl, um, happy to happy to sit with gentle music in very lush places, and and be. Uh, and I get great I get great feeding from spending those times there. But I realize also that the way I live my life is contemplative. Every question is, you know, okay, I'm doing this. How does this benefit the kingdom? As I'm doing something, where does God sit in this? As I'm talking to someone, what, what's, what's God doing between us? And what's happening in this moment? So that as you went, as your comment was about contemplation, it's about being attentive to the moment. Right, so I found I don't fit the contemplative crowd got to absolutely resonate with the contemplative behavior and um, generally people in that contemplative world have I can say that because that's what they've acknowledged in me it's not I've like gone seeking it they've gone "Oh no, you're actually quite very contemplative in the way you do your stuff but it's not it's not to be its own thing or I think that's the I think some of the contemplative practices are trying to also almost be a new order, a new way of doing church. And and people have needed to step out of the busyness of church life to find that contemplation. Mm. Whereas I found I didn't have to step out of the busyness to find the contemplation within it. And that's where it comes down to what my comment to you is that the power of your word discipline because it's a discipline to sit still and stick quiet. It's a discipline to attend to preaching every Sunday. It's a discipline to, you know, paint this painting, which becomes monotonous, but I'm going to do it because it's for something or someone, you know, every now and again, i go in and I mop the bathrooms or I vacuum the floors or because I had a great boss when I was a carpenter and though he was a boss, if he came on site, he'd sweep up the sawdust or he'd do some of the menial jobs because it was the job, the job all needs being done. Who does what part was never a position of authority for him. The job, his goal was to get the building finished. And if he needed to do the smallest work, whilst he gave us the more monotonous, bigger stuff to do, and he just sort of flitted around, um, he understood that. And it was a great lesson to me long before ministry long, and it was a Christian man, uh, my boss, and as a PK, I wouldn't have put that learning then into spiritual di- discipline from my boss on the building site, but it absolutely was. He never said, I'm the boss, you do the menial work. He said, I've asked you to do these tasks, and while you're doing them, I'll do some of the menial ones. It, You know, it just blew my mind that the boss of this company would sweep the sawdust and, and put noggins in the walls, uh, and yet he was happy to do so mm. because the job, you know, and, and there's actually a lot of my ministry practice, doesn't go back to necessarily my father. It goes back to my first boss, who was a Christian man in the building science, mm. uh, my father being a minister in himself. Um, so my dad taught me theologically and lifestyle in the family. But my boss taught me ministry in the building industry. Mm. Uh, and that was that was fascinating to understand. And I never learned that until I entered into the more contemplative practices and looked back through my life and said okay where do i why do i do what i do how do i do what i do what what's some of the thinking behind why i push people or don't push people and, and a lot of it has actually gone back to uh, my boss jim oddly enough i got to catch up with him three years ago um at a church i was i was doing the state job and i was going around the churches mm-hmm. and um I just found myself spontaneously when he was in front of me. I gave him a great big hug. Well, as a blokey bloke on building sites. <laughs> um, you know, he didn't know how to take that. He didn't know how to take that emotive response from me to give him a hug. And my that hug from me, oh, as I reflected on it, well, why did I do that? It's because so much of who I am was formed by him. Mm. And that 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 response to just cuddle him as a blokey cuddle, it wasn't. An interesting, you know blokey cuddle a um, but it was yeah and a pat on the back yeah. um but it, it it was this it was this absolutely overwhelming sense of thanksgiving to mm. him and and for me even that moment here is my boss who who hasn't been my boss for 20 years in that moment of catching up made me understand what heaven's like of mm. seeing god and that absolutely emotive response to just wanting to embrace god and say thank you for for it all Mm. for being born to my parents to to having a relationship with my wife to being a parent and now a grandparent thank you for the people who like you and chris and the people he put into my life and the honor it is to be in ministry and don't think for one second that any part of those people's interaction with my life isn't work for them and work for me because you know i'm who i am and i know i'm not an easiest person to, to journey with um I can be downright frustrating at times to myself and to other people. But because you know, friendship is those people who continue to give even when we mess up. Mm. You know, the discipline of being present to one another, of getting your butt to church every Sunday to worship God is the ultimate discipline because you're saying, God, I'm putting you first. And one of the greatest challenges that is contemplation is to get your butt to church on Sunday, you know, mm. as I've said I think before on this podcast, and you know, if I could call my ministries anything, it will be get you but their ministries. Just get there and let God do the rest.
0: Mm. And that's that's
2: and watch and observe
0: part of the thing that is the, that it is simply just turn up. You'd you'd not ask to to do anything else but to turn up and and observe or
2: see well, and turn or, up and let the Holy Spirit do. Get yeah. get yourself out of the way. Get your turn your brain off be present to the moment and allow god to create in this moment Mm. and when other people other when you meet with contemplative people you know that that's exactly what's allowed being allowed to happen between you all in that moment and that's why i think the allure of contemplation is its transcendent it's its greatest gift is it's an act of transcendence that takes us out of out of our minds into being vessels of God, Mm -hmm. vases for the Holy Spirit um, in that moment. And you can reach a point of, uh, to use another language, you can reach a point of Zen where in that room, in that moment, it's transcendent, Mm -hmm. which you can't get in the busyness and in the productivity and in the entertainment of the church service.
3: Yeah.
0: And creating, sometimes it's creating space just to listen with
3: yeah. to someone
0: who so is if praying. So you, if you or, choose,
2: yeah.
0: Or listen yeah. to when, the song
2: or. Yeah, that's right. You, you It's not necessarily you doing the song. It's you allow it to wash over you. So I'm not saying mm. that, that the church service can't have moments of transcendence. But when everybody's not doing it, it doesn't. It doesn't manifest. It can be an aha well, moment for someone personally, but it doesn't manifest in the space.
0: Well, that's touching on the fact that we've just talked about it on an individual basis, the contemplative life, or exploring different avenues of individual journeys of contemplation. But in the same time, we have to acknowledge the fact that a community does it. It's not.
2: Yeah, limited it's also to- how your art works. You paint, and each person can have a transcendent moment of looking at that artwork, but they're engaging your artwork from their perspective, not yeah. from and your perspective experience. as you're putting it together.
0: Yeah. And like you rejoicing at the aha moments, I think that's where I go. That's the gift for me is seeing what other people experience within it, where it takes them, and why yeah. they're connecting with it. Um,
2: yeah, the danger becomes when you paint for that.
0: Yes, um, that it becomes a need or a,
2: an, driving addiction. Force shift.
0: Yeah, an addiction, yeah, an addiction to yeah. to keep feeding. Yep. Um, but and that, that's the it, limit,
2: and that's why we've got to be aware of it, so that we limit ourselves to it not being that.
0: Yeah, and I think the contemplative life as a community runs along very similar parallels, um, yeah. but it's a group yeah. of people who are acknowledging that they wish to sit in this space, um, and. And observe and see and allow God to breathe within them life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, you know, creativity, contemplation and prayer, you really can't separate the three of them mm. because because they are all facets of the same thing. And and you know, a great way of exploring what is a triune God. You can't have contemplation and creativity without prayer. You can't be contemplated without prayer and creativity. You can't be creative without prayer and contemplation. Mm. You know, it's just it's just um, praxis it's this synergy that
0: and and that's creative in itself i know you have what is it redeemer
2: creator Creator, indweller. redeemer it, indweller what,
0: which is also an the experience, expression of yep. father son and holy spirit and i think that's the yep. exciting thing that we can actually see those triads happening around us in many different go. ways that go, because
2: um, i told god what god does not who god is that's what the yeah. creator, redeemer, and indweller is. Yeah. But if you put that into prayer, contemplation, and creativity, well, creativity is creator. Contemplation is indwelling. Mm-hmm. And prayer is redeeming mm. because it takes us out of ourselves and places us in the hands of God. It's into so-
0: yeah and and that that is in in that sense that is the part that gives us life that often we feel stressed or we come to it when we're feeling stressed but it's being in that mm. moment and we don't feel the life that we have or the life that is in front of us or being given to us until we've mm. had those gone through those stages
2: yeah. Yeah, and sometimes we can, we can do all we do in work. We can do all we do with family. We can do all we do in even attempting to pray. I, I've, I've had Dark Night of the Soul times when, you know, I remember as a young fellow, I wasn't quite a minister then, um, although I was contemplating it, uh-huh, um, uh, where I couldn't pray for two years. Try as I may, I just could not pray. I have never not felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and I've never not felt alone from God. But in those moments, it was frustrating, and I couldn't do it. In hindsight, when I look back on that, my image of God was changing. My image of God on whom I was talking to was evolving. And when you don't know who you're talking to, you don't know how to talk to them. Mm. And my prayers were like fishing for identity of God in all of that. So, So what I learned was that anecdotally, my image of god was being transformed from the gray, gray bearded old guy in the sky which is a very greek concept of zeus in hindsight in my lessons that i've you know disciplines that i've tended to and that god is actually this creative young spirit that all the things we have in us is in god so that god desires to be Thanked for what He's given us. God desires us to have joy in what He's created. God, God wants to give us this world so that we can be in relationship with God. That's not a big old guy sitting in judgment over the world. This is this young, vibrant, creative spirit that's dynamic, probably in his 30s or 40s. If you had to put it in a in a human age sort of space, although God is eternal, so it's mute doing so, but But it's this playful, joyful, but also very fragile God in the sense that God limits his interaction to our response to him. And, you know, the flood is that God's saying, but I've done all this and you don't even acknowledge me in it. You've become so selfish and so pursuant for pleasure of yourselves. This is now broken and I need to reset. But the desire to reset is that the original concept wasn't wrong. It's that we didn't understand because maybe in the first expression, we didn't have limitations. Maybe that's why, you know, we we discovered those limitations with Cain killing Abel. Maybe um, we discovered limitations when God gave us thorns on the earth. You know, Mm. it's going to be hard for you to do this, but I need you to understand the hardness of it. God knows the hardness of it, the eternal. God, God understands that concept of it. Although even there, God hands us Jesus, who is the part of God who knows what it is to be human, and that's why He can extend mercy and grace. That's why Jesus is the forgiving one, the redeemer, because He actually knows what it's like to be separated from God in this dimension. God doesn't know what it's like to be separated from God. Mm. God's God. Yeah. But Jesus knows why it's what it's like to be. Uh, limited and and from God because Jesus prays to God through his whole ministry he never says in my own name we pray in Jesus name but Jesus always prayed to the Abba Father Mm. and Jesus himself says on the cross why have you forsaken me? where are you God I can't find you in this moment it's very interesting that one gospel has that as opposed to another gospel having forgiven because they don't know what they're doing. Uh, And that's because what most people don't understand is that each gospel is a theological statement, making a statement into a community that they need to hear. And so there was something about that community where Jesus says, my God, my God, where are you? It's linking into the community that feel like right now, God is absent from us, God is distant from us. And as I preached on Sunday, you know the gospels are being written in a time where rome is sacking jerusalem the seat and the throne of god on earth is being demolished through murder and and war and and it would feel like armageddon that's what that's what Revelations is tapping into it's this don't trust rome rome's not your salvation rome's going to bring us undone don't trust this beast who comes across the seas and so a lot of the gospel writing is around you know, the war, the Jewish war of 66 to 70 of of Rome sacking Jerusalem, which is, you know, in Mark, as we were looking on Sunday, Jesus saying, what are you worried about these beautiful stones? None of them is going to be left standing. You know, if Jesus says there's not one stone going to be left standing, then I believe that there was not one stone left standing. But also the, the parallel, as we explored on Sunday, was that if the temple was the throne of God on earth, why was Jesus outside of it? Why was Jesus wandering around the countryside? Why was Jesus rejected by his own as not the king? And we know the resurrection is his kingship, but he chooses not to sit on the throne yet. And, of course, a lot of that apocalyptic stuff is, is waiting for the Jesus' return where he will sit upon the throne. And we also explore the fact that for that to happen biblically, there is going to need to be a third temple eventually, but that being its own journey. Mm-hmm. But in the terms of what Jesus was talking about, it's not prophetic. It actually happened in 66 to 70. Jerusalem was leveled, you know. So when people, people, as we, you know, I anecdotally said in my sermon, when people go and walk the streets that Jesus walked and when they go and sit in the upper room where he had his meal, or, it's hard to do that when the city's been leveled, literally leveled. And we know as Jerusalem's archaeological digs go deeper and deeper, it's just layer and layer and layer. The city has been actually leveled many times. Mm. And built on top and because the further deeper they go the further history they find you know so is it possible that even in our lifetime there's going to be another layer yet before the temple can be built christ returns and so there's this point in which um the creativity is even jesus limits himself to not knowing when the end is going to be if we go into that 13 chapter he says you know only god knows when it's going to end he doesn't say that in mark 13 but but jesus says i don't know Mm. yep i can't tell you what i don't know there's a limitation in jesus there he says that's God's. yeah got to do it when god's ready be ready don't be left sleeping don't be left being selfish don't be caught with your pants down so to speak you know when that moment happens it's that moment that's going to be important not all the things you've done throughout your life Mm.
0: so So, do you want to Pull apart a little bit more of the dark night of the soul, which you touched on before. When you touched on it in forms of yeah, that you, that you lost the ability to pray verbally.
2: Yeah, yeah. Particularly because I didn't know who I was talking to, as I said. So dark night of the soul is a very Catholic statement. I actually think it's a Franciscan statement, if I'm not mistaken. But but it's it's a point at which you spiritually feel alone you spiritually feel bereft, you spiritually feel disconnected from God and reality. And there are moments when you go through them of great change and great insight. Mm -hmm. And they often come at our lack of contemplation, our lack of awareness of what's actually going on. And so they often come also at a time where we've, changed because of an experience but our thinking hasn't caught up with it
3: Mm.
2: our behavior may have changed but our minds have been yet ready to recognize it and i actually think in a in a large sense but not don't lock me down into this but i think puberty is a dark night of the soul thing where where our bodies are changing the chemicals in our systems are uh different now you know, as I said, our bodies are developing, and we don't know how to be in this new body. And, and much of, um, I think, teenager adolescence is actually dark night of the soul space. How do I be who I am now? You know, for women, people look at me different now because I have different shape and different form. Blokes go through squeaky voices; their voices are changing with their testosterone coming in, dropping in. You know, and there's this is. Um, uh, and that's where what we what we don't have today is that the old world, and when I say the old world, Indigenous communities had and have ways of transitioning children to adulthood. I think women do it naturally. Once they start menstruating, there's a point at which you are now a woman. You are now capable of bearing children. For blokes, it doesn't quite happen that way. and And women have to surrender to the pain of menstruation. Um, blokes need that imprinted on them and that's where indigenous cultures and rituals of becoming were often for men um, hardships breakings bleedings um, going through pain which showed them that they are stronger and more than what physical pain is about or emotive pain is about Mm. we don't do that anymore We, we wrap kids up we don't you know become hazing and yes it's not appropriate but there was a way of saying to young boys what you're doing on a building site. This is so my story. You may think, you know, everything having come out of high school, having been year seven and being the top dog there, having come out of high school and being, you know, top dog there, um, having finished that period coming onto the building site, you know, nothing and everything, you know, is worthless right now. We are going to teach you what you need now, now to know. And there was a point of hazing, which was to remind young guys, that everything we do here can kill us on a building site. It's a way of saying, if you don't do what we tell you to do when we tell you to do it, you could get us all killed. Now, that then gets messed up with power and it gets messed up with control and it gets messed up with um, bullying, which is what hazing is mostly about. But the original content was about breaking a young boy into a manly world that says, you've got to earn your right here, mate. Mm -hmm. Um, now women do it differently in their social settings and their social language and then and the dress codes and all the rest of it but women once they start menstruating now have limits about you 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 know there's there's a rhythm to your life that has limitations thrust upon it blokes don't get that well once and we've got to learn it that
0: once upon a time that would have meant that you had to step out of community, that you had to live outside in a little hut somewhere by yourself until you stopped. And then you could. Yeah. And there's a
2: lot of um, biblical principle and also cultural principles in the Middle East where, you know, menstruation was the dark night of the soul. You were ostracized from community. Now we also know that most of the women would create communities out beyond the community, Mm -hmm. Um, and care for one another and look after one another and there's a sisterhood in something that you had no control over Uh, and is actually the gift to be able to create life but until that marriage right or that system of recognition and there's lots of problems with all that too but but the bottom line is that the, the old world had ways of recognizing and ritualizing change now once you've learned that you can you can use it again and again and again. Part of ministry formation is being broken. You know, at theological college, you you journeyed with it with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go there, and it's basically everything you think you know about the Bible. Forget it, because we're going to build you up from the ground up. Mm. Uh, the formation process is uh, through what what is now a system called CPE, Clinical Pastoral Experience. Uh, clinical Pastoral Experiences is you analyze conversations you have with people. You analyze. Um experiences and workplaces, so that you can learn yourself.
3: Mm.
2: And when you see yourself, it's often a very gut-wrenching experience, because what you think you do and what the outcome of what you do is often two very different things. Yeah uh, And so you know, as ministers, we're broken. And every time we're in a church where somebody is demanding that you see or do church the way they want you to see or do church you have to then wrestle with, do I stand against this? Do I bow to it? Do I work with it? What do I do? And you know that with the wrong, the right choice for you may be the wrong choice for them, and it may cost you your ministry or it may cost you a, a, an attendant to your church. Mm. And, and those things, once you accumulate them enough, almost become PTSD and limit your ability to actually care for your congregation. So a dark night of the soul is when you realize I'm dead here no matter what I do. Mm -hmm. So I choose to die and be reborn free of this boundary, free of this wrestle.
3: Yeah.
2: And that's ultimately what a dark night of the soul is. It's an acknowledging of a death that's already occurred that you've yet to catch up mentally with the spiritual dimension or the emotional or the social dimension that you're now in. That's the best way I can describe for me, that yeah. one soul. I
0: think yeah, I, I think too, that when you said that it that your understanding of God is changing and and who you see God is, and I think that's because God goes, okay, I'm going to draw you closer. i am um, yep. going to to draw you closer to myself, which means everything in that looks different, feels different experiences differently. Um, and we don't necessarily, we, we, we just think we're out in the field being left and dumped when actually it's the opposite, we have been pulled closer and that God
2: yeah.
0: is. Um, yeah, and that's
2: why that um, the prayer of this, the walking footsteps on the sand, which is a very uh, well-known global sort of prayer, is that why God in the hard times, are there are only one foot set of footprints in the sand, why do you leave me? And God says, you don't understand, they're my footprints and that's when I'm carrying you. Yeah. You know, and and it's that. Uh, and you've got to go through a couple of these but most people get within kwe of a dark night of the soul kwe within the recognition of spiritual growth and they throw tantrums they leave the church they break down relationship because it's inviting them deeper and they don't know how to they don't want to and they don't understand actually how to make that next step
0: and i don't know that we i don't know that that has been an expression that we've explored in past in in churches no yeah. Um, that
2: it i think the early church was very good at it
0: yeah
2: um. uh, and i think modern church is bereft of it because we you know if you look at our very rhetoric we're in the, we're in the activity of helping people change and evolve mm. but when you realize that who you've been is no good how do you become something different and and that's the wrong question because god is already making you something new it's your choice to die to who you've been. And, and this is a cross, you know, mm-hmm. this is why you know, I, you know me to be a resurrection person, not a cross person. I'm a Christ mm-hmm. is risen person, not a, a cross person at all. Um, because the cross is that which we've got to move beyond in order to get to the resurrection. If we oh, stay okay. in the sense of worthless sinner, no good, um, it's gonna take God to rescue us. We never move to resurrection that said, God has rescued us, God is still alive. And God is drawing us yet today unto himself. Mm. You know, so so people who I find really dependent on the cross, what they're actually saying is, God, don't change me. I don't want to have to evolve.
0: Or our, our mind trying to say that we don't know how to do this. This is, we'll grasp onto something that is familiar to us. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's important that we... We talk about that. We talk about our struggles or we talk about those times where um, we don't know. And as you said before, the two Gospels say what Jesus' last thing on the cross was different. And I Mm,
3: think mm, if Jesus mm. can
0: go, we can sit within that space too. If Jesus can say, I don't know where you are or what you've done, why have you forsaken me, like I'm feeling alone here, then there's an acknowledgement. Well,
2: and as you know, we deal with paradox. Yep in any conflict with someone we can feel those two things at the same moment we can say in one sense we're in conflict lord forgive them and forgive me because um i don't we don't know what we're doing in relationship we're actually really poor at it as human beings but number two is why is this heading in this direction why are you attacking me at this point what's going on in your life that you're attacking me and again the contemplative process that we've been led to or am i attacking you and i just don't know it yeah And that's a question that most people never ask themselves.
0: So part of that contemplative life is turning it back on yourself, not constantly pointing the finger, but also actually holding up a mirror statements to say, yeah, to hold up the mirror and ask those of yourself. Um,
2: Yeah. And it's exhausting, mate. That's why it's hard to do. It is exhausting, but it's the basis of prayer because once you realize how, who you are and how you're working, that you can then offer to God. You can't offer something you don't know. Mm. Now, and I think again, that- whilst I went through all those processes before I was a minister, it was understanding the language and the and the framework of that kind of the soul that lets me talk about it. But before then, I didn't have the language to understand it, and that's where religion. And you know, I hate religion, but that's where religion works, and Christianese works. It gives us a common language to now explore what those experiences are. It's not perfect, Mm. and we've got to do cross-pollination of language, but the discipline of spirituality needs to be religious in the sense that this is the language that best helps us talk about spiritual realities. Mm. And in the church, those disciplines are now 2,000 years old, and when you start a young church who doesn't want to sit within those disciplines... They're actually going to go through all the same things, but they're not going to have the language to actually healthily explore that because they don't have a way of describing it. Does that make sense?
3: Mm. Mm.
0: And I think too that it's also important to note here that it's not about walking away or having those arguments that allows you to walk away from the community that you're a part of, if that's your experience or that's what you're going through or, or that, but it's actually sticking with the journey in the community that you're a part yeah. of um, and yeah, working work
2: through, through it. It,
0: yep. it is about and so many of our people
2: just tick well, off before yeah. they do the work.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and that they, they want to close off and just stick to the familiar, but the, the discipline or the invitation that we're being yep. invited yep. into is to let's get through that cross moment, that death moment, so that yep. we can have yep. life and, yeah. and breathe and have life on the other side because there is life on yeah. the other side. Um,
2: yeah. And that might be a good place to leave it, that, that the people who focus on the cross will often stay there, but the people who focus on the resurrection, the life after death, understand the journey through death mm. because they know that there's life on the other side of that. I think there is not only is it a testimony and a truth about Jesus' life, It is a testimony and a truth to spiritual life Mm. and if people haven't matured in their discipleship or the the journey with christ to understand resurrection fully then they're not able to do it physically or emotionally or socially
0: Mm. i think that's really good if you've got any questions about that maybe send us in but we'd encourage you to keep going if that's what you're experiencing
2: at the moment Um, and engage other people around you to chat like we chat
0: yeah it's important to actually find your own language as as wonderful as it is to be able to have a language that goes back so many generations that explores this stuff Mm. um it is also important for you to have your own language and to find your own language or try and express what you're experiencing because within that that's how the holy spirit works and and
2: yeah but i would add to that you need to go and chat with someone who is deeper and has a better understanding of this stuff than you do that's where i will always champion i've had 20 years of spiritual direction and in that moment in that conversation with my spiritual director they are the one who has the resources and the teaching to help me understand and frame for me, uh, you're not weird, Scott. You're not actually, this is quite understandable. We've known this for 2,000 years of Christian journey um, and tapping into even some of the Judaic history. It's okay. Where you're at is okay. You've got to keep going. And this is the framework. You can do some reading on it. You can do some understanding of it. But if you're just talking to your mate in the pews who doesn't actually have a concept of this, The danger is that you'll Mm. actually create subversivism within the church and more likely with you and your mate to go start your own church, which we're seeing a lot of at the moment, rather than actually maturing and growing through this process of being disciples of Christ. And we actually start using the church in the whole wrong way. So I am going to agree with everything you said, but add the caveat, find a spiritual director, find a mentor, go to your minister and journey with them. And if your minister doesn't have the next steps to take you further, then find someone who does or go study at a theological college. That's my journey. I got uh, to the point where I wanted to tap into the stuff more.
0: Ask God to place someone in your life that can help you. Yeah. Um,
2: Yeah. yeah. And if it doesn't happen straight away, trust in God's timing of all of that.
0: Yeah, that's also there. I think that's that's an important thing. And that's the ultimate limitation happen maybe you're not ready for it yet you know there's all sorts yeah. of different scenarios that you could um place there but i God... still
2: throwing tantrums over doing the dishes um <laughs> <laughs> but but there there is that that's the ultimate limitation is that all things are done in god's timing yeah and if what you want never comes your way then be at peace about that yeah or if stuff's coming at you and you go why am i being drawn in this area stop contemplate it Is this an act of God? Are you being drawn into a ministry where God wants you to go and go with the flow? You you and I have always talked about trusting the left-hand field stuff, the stuff that comes at you from the left. You know, trust it, explore it because the stuff that you pursue or the stuff that looks directly in front of you is not often of God, it's often of human beings, but trust and explore the stuff. Don't don't naturally go, trust and explore the left field stuff, the stuff that comes at you from the side.
0: That's where having someone to journey with you um, yeah. can help not going down those paths that are, are dead ends, um, yep. but to guide you in specific ways.
2: And that's, and that's the principle of Christianity. If you look at Paul, if you look at uh, all of the teachers, they had an older, mature student uh, disciple traveling with a younger training disciple. So in Christianity, again, in the early church, the young Christians were never left to their own. Uh, And even if you want to read and get into this, get under the text, um, have a read of Timothy because Paul's writing to him and saying, look, mate, you journeyed with me for all those years. What the hell are you doing in your church? What are you letting go in your church? that is just completely not God. I -hmm. thought you were on the same wavelength as me, but now you're out there on your own and you've got these other people, these congregational members in your ear, you're starting to wobble. You're starting to stray from the gospel. You're starting to pander to their needs rather than be the disciple. so if you really wanted a discipleship read timothy's a great read in the new testament
0: yeah. and, and that's really what a lot of our um new testament is about is, yeah. is being community
2: yeah uh, yeah so it's first and second peter peter writing into his community is going "Well, oh, guys let's just slow down here for a yeah. minute
0: yeah
1: Conclusion: A key aspect to spirituality is the need to have a common language to explore together our experiences and where we find God and what God is doing in our life. It is also about the importance of journeying with others and not just by yourself, for God is often discovered in the midst of that. Moving out of our heads, out of what we are saying and how we are saying it to ourselves and saying it to somebody else helps us to understand, hear and explore our own spiritual journey. This common language is relevant to a group of people you talk with and do life with as you try to speak about something that is of a spiritual nature. This is the difficulty of speaking of our own spiritual journey. It's because the words don't always exist to, to describe the experience that we are going through or what we have been through. It's also that God works sometimes subtly in our lives, that we need to speak it, to hear it, or for someone else to point it out to us. It is important not to give up trying to speak about your experiences. And for me, that has been an important lesson to learn. But to find someone who you trust, who is mature in their faith, who is patient and supportive of you and your journey with God, this may be something that you ask God to help you with, to pray about it. As we have explored the context of the spiritual journey We have explored Father, Son and Holy Spirit, which we have explored before in previous episodes as Creator, Redeemer and Indweller. Here we explore the creativity, prayer and contemplation, which again aligns with the Triune God. If you find that you have questions or you've puzzled about something that we've said or would like to just reach out to us, please don't hesitate to drop us a line through our e- email in the show notes below. Our email is conversationswithr and s at gmail.com. As we delve deeper into these episodes, more questions may appear. Please ask them. We also are aware that some of you may feel isolated or alone within your community. Please feel free to reach out and make contact with us. But most of all, we hope that you have been blessed by God through conversations with Rachel and Scott. In the next episode, we will continue to explore limitations, freedom, and creativity on our spiritual journey. We will start to explore and focus on a few different practices that help us with our spiritual journey. Next episode, We will look at contemplative service, lecta divina and spiritual direction as you go out into the days and weeks ahead of you, into a world around us that creates noise, chaos, worries and anxious thoughts. May your practice into the new year bring you the awareness of God's presence closer to you through your practices and through your spiritual journey discovering the joy and adventure God has ahead of you. God's blessing to you and thank you for listening to Conversations with Rachel and Scott.